Hello, fellow Rebel Capitalists. Hope you're well. So I wanted to do a video, kind of a teaser, but give you a lot of value, a teaser for the webinar that I'm doing tomorrow, where we're going to be going over all of the insider secrets that I learned from the hedge fund managers I met with last week in St. Bart's. But right now, I want to go over some of the main takeaways that I had, some of the epiphanies, some of the discoveries that I made by talking with these individuals that have made billions of dollars for three or four days. And Josh was right there with me. So let's start off by going over one of the main takeaways that I think you can use to implement or that will help you in your own journey, your own investment journey. And this goes all the way back to the first time that I went to St. Bart's, which, which was in 2020. So for those of you who know my story well, you know that I got locked down in 2020 in Colombia, and I wanted nothing to do with that. It wasn't just Colombia. I didn't want anything to do with the lockdown, period. And the only way that I could get out of the country was to take this humanitarian flight from Medellin to Fort Lauderdale where they were just bringing in Colombian citizens and then uh, taking out American citizens. And prior to that, or just prior to that, I was trying to find some place in the world that actually was normal, that it was where you had some sense of freedom, where you could maybe go to a restaurant or go to the gym, heaven forbid, right? Heaven forbid that you get exercise during the cerveza sickness. So I text a good friend of mine named Hugh Hendry. Most of you know who he is. And I just said, hey, man, are the, is everything open there? And he responded by kind of like saying, yeah, well, it's almost like he hadn't followed the news. Like he really wasn't paying attention. <laughs> to, I don't know how you could not pay attention to the cerveza sickness. But he, he kind of like responded like, yeah, of course things are open. Like, why do you ask? And I'm like, uh, well, the, my main priority was getting to a gym just so I could get some exercise. He's like, yes, the gym is open. And I said, okay, because there's only one gym in St. Bart's there. That was kind of the punchline. And so uh, I, I went to St. Bart's as quick as I could. So I got on this humanitarian flight, went to Fort Lauderdale, then had to go to St. Bart's via the U.S. Virgin Islands and Puerto Rico. And I finally got there. And Hugh introduced me to a lot of these incredible, incredible guys. And St. Bart's is very secretive, right? It, it's, it, it's got a really interesting history, like J.D. Rockefeller as uh, was one of the first people to build this huge house there. The house still exists, actually, on the west side of the island. So uh, now it's kind of like a playground you see for the rich and famous and whatnot. But more so in reality, it's a playground for guys that were in finance, hedge fund managers, investment bankers, you know, Wall Street types that really want to keep a, a very low profile. Hugh is the anomaly there. And these guys have, have made quite literally billions and billions of dollars, but most of them you probably have never heard of. And that's one of my main takeaways, and we're going to get to that in just a moment. But when I first went there and when I was, you know, he was nice enough to invite me over to his house parties and introduce me to all these uh, just incredible, incredible financial minds, uh, I was very intimidated to say, to say the least. And I thought, wow, the, you know, these guys have to be incredibly sophisticated. I thought they'd be like Jeff Snyder times 10 or like Lynn Alden times 10, where even speaking with them, they just blow me away with their intellect and their knowledge of how the, the markets work or how the global monetary system works, et cetera. And I thought that they just leveraged that in-depth knowledge and that brain power to make billions of dollars. 
I could not have been more wrong. What I learned, they were one of the first things I learned by going to St. Bart's, and this was really, um, uh, this was really uh, kind of verified. Each time I go back, it, I see this, I think, to a greater degree, and it kind of solidifies that initial impression that I had that these guys that have quite literally made billions and billions of dollars, they, they really aren't any smarter than anyone on this live stream right now. And I would argue a lot of people on this live stream and from maybe watching my whiteboard videos or Snyder's videos or listening to someone like Lynn Alden, you actually more know, more, uh, you know more about the way things work than they do. And I'm not joking. I'm not joking. Most of them are the furthest thing from a Lynn Alden or a Jeff Snyder. <laughs> what they're very, very good. They don't know the system. They don't know how the Fed's balance sheet works. They don't know how the Euro dollar market works. They, they don't even know. Most of them don't even know what reverse repo is like on the Fed's balance sheet. Like that's even a stretch for, for most of these guys. But what they're incredibly good at doing is finding opportunities. And once they see an opportunity where the risk reward makes sense, they go all in. I mean, not, not all in, not, not literally, but, but they, they go hard. They put the pedal to the metal and there is no doubting themselves. Like there's no hesitation. There's no, and what's interesting is it works both ways, right? They can go full pedal to the metal on a specific trade. And then literally a month later, they are out of that trade with zero hesitation and even going the other way. And you see Stan Druckenmiller do this a lot. You know, now that he gives interviews and whatnot, you'll hear him one month talk about how he's bearish on the dollar as an example. And then the very next month, he's like, oh, well, I'm bullish now. And he's like, oh, just something changed. And I just, he, there's no ego involved at all. And they can just change their opinion, just bam, right on the dime and have just as much conviction in the opposite direction as they had to begin with. This is their, their uh, special skill. And it, it's, it's, it's not what I thought it was. Because again, I thought it was, they were just like a, a, a Jeff Snyder or a Lynn Alden times 10. And they just knew the market and just knew all these things and were so smart and so sophisticated. And that was their edge. But again, nothing could be further from the truth. Now, another thing that I want to point out kind of a, a main takeaway that I had or, or epiphany, if you will, one of my discoveries from uh, not just this last time, but uh, going to St. Bart's multiple times, and having the opportunity to not just talk to these guys, but hang out with them on a social level, you know, have drinks, have beers, go to dinner, uh, you know, go snorkeling, cliff diving, etc. cetera, um, is the, the, the best people in the business are the people that most of you have never heard of. Like if you see someone on CNBC, almost by definition, they do not have an edge. So we think that the biggest players and the guys who are the smartest or have the biggest edge, let's say, I think that's a better way to say it, uh, are, are the people that have made the most or have the highest returns or whatever, are these talking heads that you see on CNBC or Bloomberg, financial media. Again, it's, it's, the, it's the opposite. It's the guys you've never, ever heard of. So a couple months ago, I was in St. Bart's and we were doing kind of a, a, almost like a hedge fund manager boot camp there. 
at Hugh's place. And I found it fascinating that Hugh and some of the old school hedge fund managers that were retired uh, all kept bringing up one guy's name as far as their maybe mentor, if you will, from way back in the day, one of the OGs. And I wanted to share that with you right now. So let me do a quick screen share. And what's really cool is this guy is actually in a book that you can read today. The gentleman's name is Bruce Kovner. And every single guy there who is now retired, but who has made billions of dollars and started doing this way back in the 80s. Most of them started in the 80s, the guys that, uh, that I, I hang out with there. And they all reference this guy, Bruce Kovner. Now, most of you have probably never heard of Bruce Kovner. You've heard of the George Soros or the Stan Druckenmiller or the Jim Rogers or, you know, modern day, the, uh, uh, the, the Carl Icons or the uh, uh, David uh, Einhorn or, you know, th those types of guys. But in reality, this, this guy or these types of people are the true, legit, legit market wizards, if you will. And I use that term because this is the original book. And I wanted to highlight, or I, I wanted to read this little paragraph, right? Or this sentence right here. And this is Jack Schwager, who is the author, talking about trying to set up an interview with Bruce Kovner, because this book is just full of these interviews with these living legends. But a lot of times these legends, again, are guys that you haven't heard of. They're the best. The guys that are super, super famous, those guys are pretty much, from what they tell me, those guys don't really have an edge. They're just really, really good salesmen. So for them, it's all about assets under management, where for the, for the legit, true OGs that uh, want to do the opposite of going on CNBC, meaning they want to keep a super, super low profile, they're the guys that had these massive returns. Just ridiculous. So check this out. Today, and this would have been early 1990s, Bruce Kovner may well be the world's largest trader in the interbank currency and future markets. In 1987 alone, he scored profits in excess of 300 million for himself. Now, guys, keep in mind, that's 1987. So in today's dollars, that would be, oh my gosh, that, I mean, that would be way north of a billion dollars. And this was back when, uh, you know, hedge funds really, really weren't even a thing. Uh, let's keep going here. And the fortunate uh, investors in his fund. During this past 10 years, Kovner has realized a remarkable, wait for it, 87% average, <laughs> average annual compounded return. Let me read that again. Over the past 10 years, Kovner has realized a remarkable 87% averaged annual compounded return. So to put that into context, $2,000 invested with Kovner in early 1978 would have been worth over a million dollars 10 years later. I mean, that is mind-blowing. So you see these guys that are famous, you know, the, the, the Kathy Woods, let's throw her in there, or the... Um, Josh, who was the the guy that got in the fight with Carl Icahn? The guy with the white hair. Um, you know who I'm talking about, right? But anyway, we we see these guys on CNBC, and you know everyone puts them up on a pedestal. 
as though they're just a genius trader. And oh my gosh, look at the returns. Because over the past 10 years, they've beat the market, let's say, by an average of 5%, which means that let's just say they're, uh, you know, apples to apples comparison, their compounded average annual return is like 17%. Like, oh my gosh, 17%. Or if they can just get to the holy grail of 20%, then they're like a living legend. Like, oh my gosh, 20% returns. Whoa, that's just like mind-blowing. Okay, Covenant, 87% over 10 years. So that's just to give you an idea of how good the guys that are really good actually are. So you would think that this guy would, even back in the day, you know, he would have had his own show on CNBC. Quite the opposite. Let's read this next sentence. Despite his incredible track record and huge trading size, Kovner has managed to keep a surprisingly low profile. He has assiduously, not sure what that means, assiduously pursued, I, I think maybe passionately or, or uh, uh, very aggressively pursued his privacy by steadfastly refusing all, not some, all interview requests. These are the types of guys that hang out in St. Bart's and guys that are, were, uh, are students of people like this, like Bruce Kovner. And again, what you'll find is these people are no smarter than you and they don't have a better understanding than you do. In fact, most of them, I would say, if you just look at like the Euro dollar system and stuff we talk about on this channel, they would have less of an understanding than you do. You, the average Joe and Jane in the rebel capitalist community. So you have an edge over them right off the bat. So then you have to ask yourself, what don't you have? What, what differentiates you from the Bruce Kovner types? It's not intellect. And it's not understanding of the system. But what it is, is it's the knowledge, the wisdom, and the ability to buy and sell the right thing at the right time. And to have a mathematical edge. Hey guys, I want to remind you to check out Rebel Capitalist Pro. This is the incredible online investment forum that I have with investment experts, Lynn Alden and Chris McIntosh. It includes professionals such as Patrick Serezna from Macro Voices. He specializes in options. Jason Hartman, real estate, and Brent Johnson with Macro Economics. If you want to build wealth and thrive in this world of out-of-control central banks and big governments, Rebel Capitalist Pro is the resource you need. So check it out today at georgegammon.com forward slash pro. That's georgegammon.com forward slash pro. We'll see you inside with the fellow rebel capitalists that are taking their investing to the next level. So now let's go back to the title of this video. Here's the number one strategy hedge fund managers use to make billions. And I can tell you, in all my conversations with these guys, it, the, the, the biggest trades they had, the best investments in terms, in terms of return, 
was never, oh, I bought oil and it went up 10 times or, oh, I bought uh, Bitcoin or, oh, it was, it was never one of those things. It was always an arbitrage, always. So what I mean by that, I'll give you a specific example. And we're going to do a deep dive on all of this stuff tomorrow on the webinar. And what I'm going to do on the webinar tomorrow is I'm going to share a lot of these secrets. These are just my takeaways, kind of the epiphanies, the discoveries that I made. But they went over specific insider information and secrets and strategies that they use to make billions of dollars. That's what we're going to be discussing tomorrow. But a preview there is they they use arbitrage better than anyone I've ever, and they can find arbitrage opportunities. Now, I know what most of you are thinking right now. Oh, George, sure. These legends used to arbitrage everything, even though Warren Buffett's, you know, they used this method very, very well. But back then, there were arbitrage opportunities. Today, the market's just way too efficient. Oh, there you go. Mike Jones, Bill Ackman. Thanks, Mike. I appreciate the help there, buddy. I, I appreciate the assist. Sometimes when you're doing these live streams, you got to think of things just right off the cuff. And, <laughs> and I ain't that smart. So <laughs> I appreciate the assist. But uh, what I was saying there about the uh, the arbitrage place is most people think that the market's just way too efficient and there's no more of these arbitrage plays. Well, I, mean, I hate to use them as an example, but let's look at SBF. If you, if you read his story, you know, the, the first way that he actually made money was through an arbitrage. It was actually a Bitcoin arbitrage. That was, bef that was when he was actually doing things legally. <laughs> but there, there are other uh, examples of these, of these recent arbitrage plays where specific guys that I and, and Josh spoke with in uh, St. Bart's have, have leveraged to make quite literally tens of millions of dollars just for themselves in the last couple of years. So let me give you a specific example. When they set, and, and I knew about this way back in 2020, but I promised I would not share the secret on this channel because a lot of these, a lot of these buddies that I have, these hedge fund guys in St. Bart's, they were still leveraging it. They, they were still utilizing the strategy. So I, I told them that until kind of the cat's out of the bag here, I'm going to keep it under wraps. I'm going to keep it on the down low, which I did. But it was revolving around the Grayscale Trust. So I think most of you know what that is. That's the Bitcoin uh, trust that was set up. I don't know if they're trying to do an ETF now, something like that. But back when they first started, you remember they were advertising every single day on CNBC. In fact, I think pretty much every single commercial was about the Grayscale Trust. And even remember they had that commercial where they were downplaying gold. They're like making fun of gold. They're doing everything that they can. They're plowing millions and millions of dollars into advertising to try to do what? To boost the price of Bitcoin. And I mean, <laughs> come on, it was, it was it, maybe it wasn't a pump and dump. But it's definitely a pump. I mean, I think even the hardcore Bitcoiners would have to admit that. And you remember back, I think, I believe it was 2021, it was trading at a 40% premium to NAV, net asset value. So if they had, let's say, a million dollars worth of Bitcoin, uh, the shares were trading at a value of 1.4 million, right? So you had this discrepancy there. Uh, you call it a market inefficiency. And so what was happening, and most people don't know this, but Grayscale was actually selling shares at NAV 
to certain institutional investors. So what would happen is, let's just say that you were one of these insiders, right? And Grayscale would come to you and say, hey, you know, uh, we want to buy more Bitcoin, whatever it is. We'll sell you $100 million worth of these Grayscale shares at NAV when they're trading at 40% above NAV. So you say, George, what's the catch? The catch is they had to hold it for six months and then they, they could sell immediately and then reap the profits. So think about this. The price of Bitcoin would have to go down by 40% and you'd still break even. You'd still break even because assuming that it was still trading at 40% uh, above NAV, right? So what these guys were doing is they totally recognized that at the time, this was a bubble. This was way back, the, the, the one guy that outlined this specifically uh, to Josh and I at dinner, um, he, he started buying at 3,500, right around 3,500, maybe 4,000. And he saw what was coming. And so, uh, you know, all the fundamental arguments, all the hysteria, all the stuff that we know happened back in uh, 2020, 2021. He saw that in advance. He saw, it, uh, 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 you know, like a tsunami coming to the, to, to the shore. So what he did is he started buying all of these shares at NAV um, when it was like 4,000. And every six months and every single opportunity that he had, he would buy more and more and more and more and more. And he would roll it over when the six month expiration came out uh, or came up, he would sell. Then he would take all the proceeds 100% and pile it right back in to the exact same thing. Buy more shares at a discount to NAV, more shares at a discount to NAV, more and more and more and more and more. Just doubling down, tripling down, quadrupling down. That's an example of someone seeing an arbitrage opportunity and putting the pedal to the metal, right? But you say, George, at some point, the music has to end. The game of musical chairs is over. And you would be right. But you see, he realized that. He was not buying Bitcoin because he was a sound money enthusiast or <laughs> any of these things. He was just buying because he thought the number would go up. And that's, I don't, I'm not saying you should do that. But that is a lesson. There, there, there's a, uh, there's um, kind of a takeaway that you can use, maybe and implement in your own strategy, or at least think about to make you a better investor when you understand just how dispassionately these people buy and sell things. You know, ego is completely out of it. Your bias completely out of the game, out of the picture. So anyway, he started to notice that all of these hedge funds were doing the exact same thing. In hedge funds, I mean like uh, pools of money or other brokerages such as FTX, such as Three Arrows, such as Celsius. And when he saw what was happening and the way he described it, and hopefully I'm doing it justice. So if this isn't actually the way it played out, um, you know, forgive me, this is the overall concept here and I'm just kind of paraphrasing. But uh, Grayscale through some sort of subsidiary started to be a lender to these hedge funds. So it was very circular. I think you could argue there that there was uh, maybe some shady stuff going on, but uh, grayscale would basically lend to all these hedge funds like uh, three arrows to buy the grayscale trust, which would make the Bitcoin price go up, which would, it was all like a, it was like the opposite of a doom loop. It was like a boom loop instead of a doom loop <laughs> where you just have this feedback loop that takes the price of Bitcoin higher and higher and higher. And all these guys are making more and more money. 
But what he saw is that all this money was being borrowed, but they would sell within six months. He knew that that the the gig was up, so to speak, right? So he started as soon as he said he was like counting the days on his calendar. Like he was literally like crossing off the days. He's like, please, please let this last a little bit longer because he had so much money in there and he was, he had to get it out as soon as possible because he su- he saw that this whole thing was going to collapse because of all this funny money that was coming in from all these hedge fund managers trying to get into the game, but he knew it was too late. They had the FOMO. And they were just trying to find an edge. But in reality, they were just these salespeople that you see on CNBC. They weren't the Bruce Coveners. So he was able to actually, the, the last expiration date that he had, uh, the price of Bitcoin was right around 50000 So he rode that and he compounded it over and over and over all the way from, let's say, 3500 up to 50000 So... I mean, you can do the back of the napkin, Matt, and understand that that was every single time he would buy, he wouldn't wait six months to buy more. He would literally buy every single share that they would issue him. So if he bought, let's say, $5 million today, if they'd sell him another $10 million next week, he'd buy it. But then every single time that it expired, that that chunk, that tranche, if you will, that he bought he would just roll that over and it would compound on top of itself. So how much did he make? I would guess north of $100 million. I, I, that That's just a guess. Now, what type of intellect? Did, did he need to have some sort of incredible like Jeff Snyder, Lynn Alden type of brain power to do that? No, he didn't need any more brain power than every single person that I am seeing right now on this live stream. It's just he figured it out. He is easier for him to figure out because he's seen these things going all the way back to the 1980s. So let's remember that. And this is not the first example of an arbitrage that he, he, or is not, this is not the only example of an arbitrage that he gave me. I'm going to be giving you guys several other examples tomorrow. Uh, one incredible arbitrage was one that he did in 1990 with a guy that you might know named Jim Rogers. That's an incredible story. And I can't wait to share it with you guys tomorrow. But the main takeaway there is, is he has the exact same intelligence as any of you. It's just he has this skill set that he has honed over the years through experience, wisdom, and mostly because he has the cojones to take action, <laughs> big action. And now when he sees that opportunity, he can go in there just immediately with like 100% confidence, but he can get out right away. He can change his mind on the dime. And... These are the things that I think you guys should um, really start to mull over. You should noodle over. I think these are the, this is the stuff that you never hear on CNBC or Bloomberg, or you never hear in the documentaries, right? But this is the reality. This is how it works in real life. This is how these guys make billions and billions of dollars. And if they can make billions of dollars, I think you can take the same lessons, the same uh, strategies, and use that to make you know whatever's a big number for you, tens of thousands, a hundreds, hundreds of thousands, or maybe even millions of dollars. So this is not investment advice. I'm just sharing these these secrets that nobody talks about. You don't read about this stuff in the textbooks. You don't read you, the, the way the mainstream media makes it seem as though these guys are just have some sort of secret powers. 
that are just completely out of the reach of the average Joe and Jane. I'm telling you that is not true. It is the opposite of that. Any of you on this live stream can do the exact same thing. Maybe not with the same amount of money, <laughs> but have the same types of returns if you just do the exact same things that they do now and have done since the 1980s that have worked over and over and over and over and over again, which gives them the confidence required to make these huge bets and make potentially hundreds of millions of dollars, like the example I gave you with the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust. All right, guys. So if you want to participate, if you want to be on that live stream tomorrow, it's going to be on the Rebel Capitalist Pro Forum. Uh, you can check that out at rebel, excuse me, georgegammon.com forward slash pro. You do a trial for $1 and the live stream that's within the forum is going to be tomorrow at 11 a.m. Eastern time, where I'm going to be sharing with you a lot more stories uh, a lot of these insider secrets and these strategies that uh, we discussed during this last trip, the St. Bart's last week. So I look forward to seeing you guys on the next video. I look forward to seeing you on that live stream in Rebel Capitalist Pro tomorrow at 11 a.m. Eastern time. And again, you can check it out, georgegammon.com forward slash pro.